Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change power and success in the world. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. When the well is dry, we know the worth of water, is a quote by Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. With the increased awareness and importance of water conservation and sustainability, I thought this quote is appropriate for our guest today, who leads an organisation that takes pride in being in the forefront of this important initiative, with a purpose that binds the company with a common goal of providing superior water solutions to their customers and the end consumers. Our guest today is Tim Salt, Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer of GWA Group Limited, an international leading supplier of building fixtures and fittings to households and commercial premises. Prior to GWA, Tim was Managing Director of Diageo Australia, following an international career that includes senior roles with Campbell Arnott's, Lion, Pepsi and Unilever. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influence that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. I'm your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blenheim Partners, the number one research-led executive search and board advisory firm. In this episode, we learn about the shifts taking place in the commercial and residential building sectors, the changing needs of the customers, the desire for sustainable solutions, and how GWA's efforts are saving the equivalent of a Sydney Harbour in water every year. Tim presents some global economic perspectives, as well as nation-building opportunities while sharing candidly what it's like being a first-time ASX-listed CEO and why he places emphasis on game changers and the need for aligned values. So sit back and enjoy the risk of not making change. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tim, where are you from? I'm from England. I'm English by birth, Australian by choice. Interesting career you've had so far. I haven't met anybody yet who's had a career in FMCG where they started at Tetley, Pepsi, moved to Lyon, Campbell Arnott's, Diageo, and now at GWA. Can you talk us through your career, give us some sort of the highlights? Yeah, look, I suppose when you look back at those companies that you just mentioned, I've been fortunate enough to work for some really great large multinational organisations who've got a really good, you know, I think, uh, portfolio of brands. They were able to get great people into the organisation, but probably from my perspective, in terms of my own growth over the years, there have been companies who are prepared to invest in the people who are working at them yeah. to allow you to actually reach your full potential. And I, I, you know, over time, as you as you start working in organisations like that, you start to look for other organisations as you move in your career where you can actually get that same level of growth and development. So I was very fortunate to, to have that historically. As I've 
thought about that. It was interesting. I've, I've had to live by, I suppose, a very basic premise as I've gone through my career around, I, I think, about three things that are important to me. It, it's about learning, it's about achieving, and it's about inspiration. And, and I, whatever I'm doing, I look for those three things and I say to myself, am I getting this out of what I'm currently doing? And if I'm not, can I change something? And if, if within the role or the company I'm in, and I don't feel I can ever get more of that, then I have to look at what my options are. And, and in a way, you know, my previous role before joining GWA was at Diageo, and I've been yeah. there for seven years. And you know, as you know, it's the largest spirits company in the world. Amazing organization, huge regard for it, great, great company, great people. But I've been doing the same role in Australia for seven years, no desire to go into a, an international role again. And my learning had sort of plateaued there. Yeah, and, and really for me, that the opportunity then was to start thinking about, well, what else can I do? And the danger, I suppose, is, or the opportunity, whichever way you look at it, the, the danger is if you stay in that same channel, you don't really necessarily grow or learn in the same way. And, you know, I've been very fortunate. My, I was given the opportunity at GWA to move into a different industry obviously into a different company and, and probably just as importantly moved from being head of a country for a multinational to actually being sort of the CEO of a, a, an Australian listed entity. You put all those three things together, that's a massive change. Mm. And that learning curve has, has gone through the roof for me, quite honestly. Um, I was fortunate that the board of GWA obviously wanted a a refresh and, a, and a, somebody to come and bring a different perspective. And I think that's where my FMCG background or fast-moving consumer good background helped that. But they didn't take the conservative approach of going for the uh, the chief exec out there who's got the ASX-listed experience. Yeah, and I, I was obviously very fortunate in that. And I think, I say, the board wanted to make, you know, a bit of change things up a bit and, and to, to sort of back someone who doesn't have that background or hasn't worked in the building industry before, I think was, 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 you know, very brave. And I'm, you know, I'm delighted I got that opportunity. You know, I've been supported by the chairman, deputy chairman and the board since I've been in the business. And I've been, I've been fortunate in that regard because it, on their side, you'd probably say that was a pretty big risk in some ways. The flip side of that is that it's like anything you say, the risk of not making a change sometimes is, is even greater. So in that regard, maybe it wasn't as big a risk. But from my perspective, you know, I'm delighted with the with the change that they they wanted to bring in and it works for them and hopefully it, uh, it, you know, it's, it continues to work for them. Can I just take you back a few years? Um, yeah. You studied at University Bachelor of Science and then you moved into a career of marketing. And then, the, and as you said earlier, they're all blue chip companies. Which company made the most the biggest impact on you? Where was the best thinking about risk and innovation, et cetera, that you've now taken on in this role? It'd be really hard to say one particular organization stood out for one thing. But I've just, I think I've been fortunate to work with great people doing on great brands, doing some great things over the years. And for me, it's less about, you know, I, I look back now at things that I thought were great at the time. And with hindsight, you go, geez, I wish I'd done that differently, or I wish we'd approached a problem in a different way. Mm. Um, but you don't really know that until you've actually been through and got the experience to be able to look back and, and stuff that you've learned along the way and then take that and apply it to maybe what you had previously. So so from my perspective, I wouldn't want to call out one organization. I mean, Fair enough. If, if, if I was somebody coming out of university though and saying, I want a career in marketing, what should I do or where should I go? Yeah. You couldn't look past Unilever, which is the first company I worked for. I mean, they're an amazing organization. The, the development that they put into their people and the, the way that they can can enhance somebody's ability to think and, and create growth opportunities was amazing. 
but they're also quite process driven and very English in the way they do things. But I've got you know high regard for them. But again, you look at the strengths that they've got. But then you go on to someone somewhere like Diageo, which is a, a, you know an organisation that that has a, a very good performance driven culture. So for some people out there don't know what Diageo is, you want to sort of give us a rundown? Yeah, sure. Well, Diageo, as I say, is the world's largest spirits company. Uh, major brands would include Johnny Walker, Smirnoff, uh, Bailey's, uh, Gordon's Gin, uh, and a whole host of uh, of. of uh, 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 malt whiskies out of Scotland. More importantly, though, in Australia, they're also Bundaberg rum, which was uh, something that was very close to my heart by the time I left that place. Great training ground, great experience. What made you leave the UK to come to Australia? Uh, What's her name? Yep. Well, 30 years ago, I uh, met an Australian who was traveling in the UK and uh, fell in love with her. We were living together. She woke up one morning. She said, it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. I'm going home. You've got two options. You can stay here or you can come with me. And I'm, she said, I'm booking my ticket today. So 30 years ago, that was it. I, uh, well, just under that, because we've been living together in the UK for a while, I booked my ticket and uh, followed her out here and uh, still together. And how, look, when you, when you did make the move from the UK uh, to Australia, did you see much difference in working habits, the mentality, closed mindedness, you know, the island country versus UK slash Europe? What, what was your view? I think. For me, and again, the the benefit of hindsight is wonderful. I think the UK at the time probably had more thought leadership uh, in terms of whatever issues were, were were at the front. They were thinking about things well ahead of you know whether it's packaging covenants or you know sort of brand marketing. Yeah, there, there was a there was a lot of leading edge thinking I think coming out of the UK. Yeah. Um, I was probably less so in Australia. It was more of a follower yes. of what was going on in the UK, particularly um, at, at the time. But then when you come out here and you look at the strengths of Australia, the fact that organisations are um, large organisations but smaller population, therefore you, you, your business can't afford to have the same sort of overhead that you'd have in no. the UK or, or more particularly in the US. So you get out of Australia and you get a wonderful breadth of experience here that you wouldn't necessarily get. I mean, I, I was, you know, in the US, for example, I was fortunate enough to work there for two years. And you have people who have very narrow jobs in the US because there are so many people, um, you know, in a team that they do a specific part of that role. Whereas in Australia, you might have one person who's running a whole brand or yeah. a whole, you know, sort of marketing effort. So you, you, you learn a lot of stuff more broadly here, whereas in the US you go a lot deeper. I actually think that's why in Australia it's, it, you know, you see a lot of people who've moved from Australia and move into roles in other countries, particularly in the US, and have done very well. I think it's because of the breadth that you get here because that's a necessity based on the size. It's a sophisticated market, so it's not like you're, you're going from sort of a, a, a backward country. It's actually sophisticated but relatively small, and I think that's, a, in a way, it's a downside in some ways, but it's a massive strength from a career development perspective because it allows people to grow more quickly in this market, I think, than perhaps you would do in others. Interesting. I had a, had a meeting today uh, with, with a chair who said, look, the, the world's changing at such a rapid pace and it's coming down to the level of curiosity and creativity. Now, you're in the cutting edge in all your career in the sense of facing the customer. Does Australia have that sort of same mindset of the curiosity and creativity that you saw in the UK? Where, where would you put us in that regard or even compared to the Americans? I'm probably biased because I've chosen to live here, haven't I? But, um, yeah, so yes. I, I, I personally think that that there is no shortage of 
creativity and curiosity in this this country at all. I mean, I, th I think that the challenge is how we harness that. I mean, it's a, a little known fact, but the company I work for now, GWA, the, the, the dual flush toilet was developed some 30 years ago by Coroma in Australia, and that's now used around the world. But that simple device at the time, you know, as an example, toilets were using 12 litres of water every time they flushed. That's right, yeah. Then they halved that off to 11, five and a half. That's now down to four and a half, three litres of water. That single innovation saves the equivalent of one Sydney harbour of water every year in Australia. And, and that's all about, you know, you talk about creativity and, and, and sort of curiosity. For me, that's a great example, I think, of something in this country where, and it, the problem is, I don't think we do enough to talk about that or, or, or really talk that up. I mean, if you, you know, if you look at what's going on, and it's not out of my sphere of influence, but, yep. and, and, but if you look at what's going on at Uni of New South Wales at the moment with yep. Michelle Simmons in the whole quantum computing space. Yes, absolutely. That for me is something that, you know, you look at that and go, wow. This is something that's leading edge, not just in Australia, but globally, that can fundamentally change the world. And, and I think the progress and the opportunity here is great. We need to do more to harness that type of stuff and apply it, though, across different businesses and, and make sure government's supporting those things, because I think that's how we differentiate ourselves going forward. Okay, so what is GWA? GWA, if you go, if you ask somebody that five or ten years ago, they'd say it was a business that sells toilets. Yeah, I thought it was. And And... That's still true. We still sell toilets. And as long as I'm there, we're going to continue to sell toilets. We also sell taps and showers and basins. But more importantly, we're actually a business that we're thinking differently about the business now. We're talking about a business that, you know, our purpose is to make life better with superior solutions for water. That's what we talk about and, and think about internally. And by that, I mean, we're actually trying to create solutions for our customers and consumers now. And those solutions could be how do you make your bathroom more luxurious or more livable or more enjoyable. But just as importantly these days, it's how do you make it more sustainable? So yeah, how do you reduce the amount of water you're using? So our job is to provide solutions for the end consumer, but also for the customer on the way through. And, and so we don't think about just selling fixtures or toilets or taps or showers. We think about selling water solutions now. That's, that's the business that we're in. It's not about products anymore. People want to know how what you sell is actually going to solve a problem for them. And that's what we're trying to uh, do with this so GW. Where, where do you make the money? Is it commercial or is it residential? Our business is split, so we're probably about 60% residential, 40% commercial, give or take. And by commercial, I mean office blocks, schools, hospitals, uh, hotels, etc., the airports, those sort of things. And then the remainder is split between new builds. So if somebody's building a new apartment or you've got a new house that you're building, um, that's a sort of sizable chunk. But the main part of the market is still that renovation space. So, you know, if you think 10 million homes, give or take, in yeah. Australia... Every year, there's about one million of those undertaking either a small or a larger renovation. Yeah. That's a big part of the market. So that's 60% on that residential side and then that 40% on that commercial. Interestingly, though, the commercial is both new build, yes, but also renovation and replacement. And people don't tend to think about that. So yeah. you know, here in Sydney, if you think about Barangaroo that's just that's been built, there's a great new build opportunity. Yeah. But the people who have moved in there, mainly the financial services and the banks, have moved from somewhere else. That's right. The people who own those buildings where they've moved from want to re-rent them. And those buildings need refurbing and upgrading to make sure that they're at a standard that's similar to, to what Barangaroo is. So, you know, they'll gut the inside of those buildings and, and actually put in new fixtures, new, you know, new floors, whatever it might be. And that's a, a big part of our market as well. And it's one that at the moment 
we're probably under under trade on, and that's an opportunity for us going forward. And why would I why would I purchase your product, Tim? Well, I'd or like products. To, yeah. Well, I, I think there's a you know a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first one is that that the brand I think is one that you know, certainly Coroma and and Methven and Dorf over the years have built up a reputation for being quite great quality products. Is there much difference between me going to this toilet over there and this and your toilet over here? Well, I'm biased, but I would say absolutely. What comfort or what's what's it come down to? No, I, well, I, look, I, th- I think there's a you can say there's a, there's <laughs> no, a whole I'm and, I'm, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm pleased you and I give me a chance to spruik my product, so yeah. I'm very happy about that. But I think look, the, the first part is the quality of the build. So stuff that you know goes through the factories where we make our stuff. Yeah, we make sure that the quality is really high. So our rejection rates, good or bad, are actually probably higher than many other players in the industry because we won't let certain things out. So there's the there's how. The product is is manufactured is one thing, but I think prior to that, it's how it's designed. So if you look at our products, I think the design that we actually the you know, we design you know in Australia for Australians conditions and for Australian regulations. So that's a lot of other players no, maybe will bring it in and, and drop it in, and that's not a criticism. It's just a reflection of you know history. Seventy five years in Coroma, more than right. that within Methven out of New Zealand. So yeah. we've got a long history of, of understanding this market, and that's really important for us. So the quality of the design, the quality of the build, and just as importantly, I think people should put it in because we'll, we've been here for seventy five. Mm-hmm. We're going to be here for another seventy five. So if, if on the off chance that something does go wrong. We're here to sort it out for you. Know, you get somebody comes out that replaces the toilet or the shower or the tap or whatever it might be. So there's that post-purchase reassurance that, that we're going to be around to help solve your problem should you need us to down the track. And I think if you put those together, then you know it's a, it's a good proposition for the consumer and for customer. And look, in regards to the residential, you talked about the refurbishment or up, upgrade of the home. Who makes the decision? <laughs> um, Dad thinks he does. Normally, uh, in that sort of family, I mum makes the decision, and that is correct, is it? Yeah, it's it's. They, if you ask them, they'd say, "Well, it's a shared thing." But I, you know, I'm, I influence it. But I think the reality is that, particularly in the main bathroom these days, we're seeing that 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 that's the that's the value, isn't it? it? It's most people in the value in a home. They look at what it looks like from the outside of the side. What's the kitchen look like, and what does the master ensuite look like? And increasingly, what does the outdoor living space look like? But the master bathroom is the place that that mum in particular treats as her sanctuary it's her little bit of luxury it's the space that she gets away from the family or the kids and look it might doesn't have to be a big glamorous place but it's just a place where she can get time out so in many ways they're the ones that are influencing influencing that renovation decision because they want to know that it's right for them and and in our job as a as a branded business is to try and help them on that journey to get something that when they when the when the renovation's done or the you know or the house has been built or whatever is they go yeah. wow I love this and it's the place they want to show off to their friends yeah. and and that's really important you know we, they go and light a candle and have a glass of wine or whatever it might be and feel good about what they've got and that's really important to us that we can create that for them GWA used to be a manufacturer in Australia for many, many years. It's no longer, is it? Is that, is that the case? Look, from a, from a what was the old Chroma business, that's the case. In, in New Zealand, we've just bought Methven, which is a tap and shower business out of New Zealand. They've got a manufacturing site in um, Auckland, and they've got another one in China. But from a GWA perspective, we made a call the last, I think, place closed about three or four years ago here in Australia. Okay. And that was, a, a, over time, a lot of, you know, probably the last 10 or 20 years, a, a reduction in manufacturing in Australia. That's correct. The the short reality is that the economics don't stack up to make our stuff in Australia. 
Um, From a an economic perspective, you know, our last site that we had in Australia was making about 250,000 units of sanitary ware, you know, be that toilet or a urinal or a basin, 250,000 units. Our biggest supplier up in China, a supply partner we've had for a number of years, is, is now making close to 9 million units. So the, the economies of scale that they get are significant. So from our perspective, it, it didn't make sense. And to be honest... I would rather, you know, you talk about FMCG learning. Yeah. Um, my background has been trying to understand consumer and customer and how yeah. we how we support their growth or, or meeting their needs. I'd rather we spent our efforts and our time developing great customer relationships and customer plans, building brands that consumers love and trust, and focus our efforts there and have the people who are good at actually making product, have them actually do that and do it really well for us. I mean, we have a, about 15 people in China, our own people who are there side by side with our manufacturing partners, actually making sure that the quality is where we need it to be. And so we get the same reassurance on the quality. And actually, since we've left Australia, and I know some of the some of the guys that used to work in the factories might not like it, but the quality's gone up. Is that right? Yeah, the the the, the cost has actually improved, and the, uh, the 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 pace that we can get innovation through is much better. I mean, the, there's much less constraint. On, you know, we basically, if you look at our, our balance sheet, uh, yeah. we've taken a lot of uh, a lot of the capital that was tied up in manufacturing is, has actually been taken out. So our return on funds employed as an organisation has improved quite substantially as well as a, as a result of actually not manufacturing. And, and I say, I think, you know, a lot of those decisions were taken before I got into the organisation. I would have made the same decision. And I think previous guys made it, did a great job of actually making that call. It's a tough call. Yeah, it's a very tough call. But it's, it's, the, it's the right call. What does the customer want? I think, look, you have to draw a distinction between consumer, which I would define as the end user of your product, and customer, who are the people that we sell to and work with to try and provide the right solution for the end consumer. So we talk about being consumer-driven and customer-focused in our business. And by that, I mean you've got to really understand that end consumer and what their needs are. Now, that can vary, you know, in the same way, you know, we're sitting in this room, you probably drive a different car from me and for very different, you know, you you have a reason why you drive yours and I have a reason I drive mine. There's no different about whether you're buying a TV or a, you know, or installing a new bathroom, you have certain things that you look for that I don't and things are important for me that you don't think are important. So mm-hmm. our job is to try and understand where those the sweet spot is of, of where we can deliver a great experience or a solution for a consumer, make money at it and actually make money, sort of hopefully make money for the for the customer along the way as well. That's the, that's the intention. So we do a lot of research to try and understand what consumer needs are and how they you know, we call, talk about market segmentation. So how do you yeah. take a total market and split it into different groups of people who have like-minded needs or interests? Or, and that way we target specific parts of that. So from our perspective, you know, there might be some people who want a more high-end, luxurious bathroom. Some people want a more functional one, particularly if you're doing it in a, a development that you sort of bought, you've bought to rent or something like that. So yeah. you, you can't sit here and say everyone has the same need. No. You've got to look at different groups of people. And we try to then target those with specific offerings. So... Those offerings might be different in price ladders, so you'd have an entry price, a good price, a better price, and a best price. You know what I mean? For yeah. and then different features and benefits in each of those um, sort of products that that go into those particular areas. So that's how we think about it, and that's no different from whether you're selling rum or gin or or whiskey. It's the same approach that you take to understand your consumer and then work out how you can you can actually really excite them with what you're offering them. And then from our perspective, you know, we sell through customers to end consumer. 
And, and that's, you know, our, our job is how do we help our customers make more money? Yeah, exactly right. You know, and, and, and if we can do that, they want to do business with us. If we can't do that, they'll do business with somebody else. And, and sometimes that's not always about the margin that we give them on a product. It might be that we can sell more because we've got a better brand or we bring innovation to the table or we can partner with them in other ways to, to create growth opportunities for them. So they're the things that they want. The things that underpin that are obviously the basics. I mean, every customer wants your product when they want it, you know, at a reasonable price, and they want to be able to, you know, get it in their store when they need it, where they need it at the right price. And to be honest, we've we've still got work to do on that. We're not we're not as good as I would like us to be on some of those things. We're, we've we've you know we're a work in progress, and I've been there four years, and it's still a. You know, we're still working on how do we improve our service levels? How do we get some of the basics right? And um, we go up a bit. Is that because the business is changing so much from being a, a manufacturer to distributor and, and far more focused on the consumer? It, it the Probably not, if I'm being honest. I, yeah, think okay. it, I think it's just that maybe we don't. Changing a culture in an organization takes a long time. That's probably been one of my biggest learnings as I've come into GWA, that you have a view of you know, a company that's, that's steeped in manufacturing history is very proud of the quality of the products it makes, and they are fantastic, yep. I've got to say. Yep. But then shifting that, that's quite a, what I'd call an internal perspective, that you're looking at the business and it's all about you, whereas actually we've got to flip that and start looking outside the business and look at customer and consumer and what their needs are. And that's taken us a lot longer. And, and I, I think sometimes we don't do ourselves justice in terms of how we don't adapt to what customers need and what consumers want. And it's taking time to shift that mindset that that's the priority. Because if we're not creating demand out there, no matter how good our manufacturing processes are, our quality is, if, we, if, we're, not, if we're not creating stuff that people want, we're not going to sell anything from back here. So shifting that mindset from where we were to where we need to be is, a, is a, has taken longer than I would have thought. Just, just on that, where does the growth come from? End of the day, we've got a, a captured market of 27 million Australians and, as you say, coverage in the New, in New Zealand market as well. But can you talk me through, you know, when, the, when you sit down and present to the chair and the board, I'm sure you could ask the question, but where is the future growth coming from? Yeah, look, I, from, no, and every, every company, everybody wants to you know, grow the business. So from our perspective... Um, we see a number of opportunities. I talked to you earlier about residential versus commercial. So yeah. the first one is when you look overall at residential, our share is probably about 20-odd 20, 20 percent overall of that market. So one in five. Yeah. Um, big opportunity there with the other four in five that are going to somebody else at the moment. And, yeah. and part of that is how we think about it. So how do we grow share in, in, in Australia by satisfying customers and, and delighting consumers better and putting the right sort of new products out there, making sure our pricing's right, making sure we're leading trends on innovation, all that sort of stuff. So we've got work to do on that, and that's, but that's certainly how we grow that area. On the flip side of that, you've then got the, the commercial side where we are stronger in commercial new build. Um, and if you look pretty much, if you go to pretty much any bathroom in a commercial office in Sydney, you're probably about, for every one in two, you'd see a Coroma toilet yeah, you do, yeah. in there. But you'd only in one in 10 would you see a Coroma tap in there. So actually, we've got an opportunity to grow in some of the categories where we're not as strong at the moment in that commercial space. That's in new build. Yeah, right. But then, you know, without trying to make this too complicated, yeah. in commercial renovation, our share is only half what it is in commercial new build. So we get really good share in commercial new build, so share of the market. But in commercial renovation, we only get about half that share. So we should be doing far better in commercial renovation than we currently are. So from our perspective, we see that as a growth opportunity as well. You then start to look at things like um, 
age population. This, you know, Australia, wealthy country, population aging. The demand that people have now to want to stay in their home longer rather than going to aged care facilities is going to fundamentally shift how people think about retirement and aging in this country. So we see that as a huge opportunity going forward. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a specific range called Chroma Live Well, which talks to, you know, you, if you've been in a hospital, nobody wants to go in there. You know, you, you see the, the rails around the side and the product right. looks very utilitarian. The challenge is how do you actually create products that actually look really good but actually have grab rails so, can, you know, as you get older, you can move around, that, that they're flexible around, you know, sort of you need a slightly taller, taller seat or you've got taps that you can turn on and off easily if you've got arthritis but oh, yeah. don't look like they're institutionalised. That's a big opportunity we think going forward. So we're certainly focusing a lot of our efforts on aged care, not only at home but also within aged care facilities as well because population um, demographics just suggest that's a huge growth opportunity. So that's another area of growth. So demographics is one. Another one, I think, within the Australian market then is is the whole area of sustainability. Yep. So the whole idea that 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 you know we are living in the um, most. How would you describe it? You'd say it's it's got the highest bloody problem with water uh, scarcity of of any inhabited continent in the world. Yes. So from our perspective, we see a real opportunity to to create solutions that actually help solve that water crisis. So we've just launched a a, a solution called Chroma Smart Command, which is a whole bunch of you know a toilet tap, showers, urinals, whatever that are all connected up through Bluetooth into the cloud. You can use that to actually monitor and manage water use within a building now. So, so we know that we know that. So, in a commercial building, you can put this in, and the studies show that by doing this, you can reduce the water consumption in that building by twenty five percent. And part of that's through education. Part of that's through identifying where a product's not working in the way that it should do. Part of it's by preventative maintenance, so that you get there and and part of it's by actually managing leaks that you can actually detect through what we're doing. So there's there's a whole load of ways that we can actually help save water. If you do that, you make the building better for the user because there are more clean toilets that are available more often and the building owner saves money as well because there's less maintenance, less cleaning, less water usage, whatever else. So sustainability in that sense is a, is a, a key driver of where we see our growth opportunity and that's going to be linked in with technology because that's a key part going forward. They're all coming hand in hand quite frankly so you've got you've got those i think they're the key ones within an australian and a new zealand context but then the acquisition of methven has actually then given us a footprint into other markets where we weren't present previously so methven have a small business in asia that you know we believe we can help grow and we'll start to then put some of this technology that we're talking about hopefully into some of these asian markets and they've got a good business in the uk as well so we see that as a growth opportunity. interestingly for a small business they've done a really good job over there of growing against a backdrop of uncertainty of brexit and whatever else so yeah. we see that's got some growth potential in a in a market that's static but they're still relatively small and continue to grow. So we think we've got some international growth opportunities as well. So that was a very long answer to your uh, to your question. But I, I don't think our challenge is where do we grow. It's actually making sure we allocate resource and prioritise the areas where we've got most opportunity to grow. So quite different. I don't think our challenge is, geez, how do we grow? It's where do we grow and how quickly can we grow? Okay. So the prioritising is the is the big point here. Are you strong in data analytics? Is that something that you guys look at intently, or is it? Uh more talk than, than action. 
it's it's a, it's a great question actually, and I think you know as an ex marketeer, you know, I always like to try and pretend that you've, That's right. you've used a lot of data to to uh, come to your conclusions. And the, I think the reality is that historically, that the data has been there, but it's it's at quite a high level. I mean, I think both the analytics, but also the way that that media is consumed now allows you to get much more understanding of that consumer and certainly of, of what they you know what they're doing and their interdependencies on lots of other things out there as well so so we do look at data from a consumer perspective and we try to use that to inform what we do and that's going to i mean that's only going to go one way and that's going to increase interestingly or, or i think more not more importantly but differently so that the, the Chroma Smart Commander was just talking about. Mm. We've now got about 36 buildings that are actually connected up into the cloud. So we can aggregate all that data and look at it yeah, and okay. tell you where and how water is being consumed. Right. I think that's where the insight comes in for us. So we can tell you now, we can look at a, a bathroom and two different bathrooms in, a, say, shopping centres, and we can say to you, actually, this bathroom uses 50% more water than this one, and that's because of the way it's configured. So you can start to look at bathroom design and use the insights that you've captured from the data that you've collected yeah. to actually inform basics of, geez, how, is, how does this bathroom actually, how's it put together to make it more efficient in terms of what, how water is consumed within that bathroom? You know, male bathrooms and female bathrooms, normally they're the same size, and then they try and work out how many cubicles they can fit into the female. Going forward, you'd say, actually, you know what? Maybe male bathrooms should be smaller and the females should be larger. Places like the entertainment center and, you, and you're a female. There's a bloody queue outside the door coming yeah. back for, you know, sort of a number you know, from the bathroom because there aren't enough cubicles for females. So getting things right like that will help airports, will help shopping centers. And that's the stuff that we think we can do in partnership with some of those um, owners of good sites like that is to help them work on improving the customer experience yeah. through the data that we get. So data is interesting, but it's, it's garbage unless you actually apply it into how you can improve a customer experience, a consumer experience, how you can make something more efficient, how you can save money, or how you can make something more sustainable. And that's the focus that we're, uh, we're putting on our data. How tough's the competition? I, I, I think in this day and age, I don't think there's a, a market or a country where, where competition isn't intense, where there's always going to be people coming. And I think the challenge is how you, how you respond to it and how you deal with it. Yeah. Um, Many, many years ago, though, I think somebody, you know, going having worked for some of these companies, we we talked to, always talked about actually, you know what, focus on what you're doing, and, and you know, you got to be mindful of what your competitors doing, but you've got to be focused on, on how you can create differentiation for that end consumer and how you can actually help your customer grow their business. If you get that bit right then it makes it easier for them to want to do business with you. So in some ways, we're mindful of con of competitor and, and respectful of them, but we've got to run our own race and do our own thing. And, and the, the I think the one area for me that we, we obviously have to think about is then how do you make sure you're staying ahead of the competition? How do you make sure you're doing things? And, and in some cases, we're doing that. I mean, the Chroma Smart Command, I would argue, is world leading. Okay, really? Um, I haven't seen, you know, and I, go, I attend a lot of the bathroom kitchen fairs around the world to understand and. Some people are doing some great stuff that's different from us and they've chosen to go down a particular angle. But, but 
I haven't seen anything that replicates what we're doing at the moment. My belief is though that it will come. This whole area of sustainability and focus on water conservation is, is just ramping up like you wouldn't believe, not just here in Australia, but in pretty much every market around the world. So there's an inevitability about it. Our challenge is how do we stay ahead of the game on that and continue to grow our business? And you know, we think we've got some expansion opportunities in that, but we've got to seize those opportunities and, and work on those pretty quickly. And as a CEO, where do you spend your time? It's, it's a good question. I, I, when, I, when I think about my role as a leader in the business, I, I think about three things, really. I think about setting direction. I think about supporting people. And I think about delivering performance. They're the, they're the three things that I spend my time and energy on. Yep. And the direction piece is really around strategy and the, the longer term vision for the organization that we have and how we, you know, what does that look like and how do we bring it to life? But probably just as importantly, it's then how do you try and turn the five year view of where your business is going to be into what you're going to do in one year and, and what your plans and programs need to be. Now, I don't sit here and pretend I'm doing those, but I'm, I'm trying to work to make sure that we've got the right programs in place to deliver not only today, but also in that two and three and four, five year time horizon. So that's setting direction with the exec team that, you know, that gives clarity on where we're going as an organization. But just as importantly, I'd, I'd like to believe that it inspires people to actually want to get out of bed in the morning and actually make a difference in an organization. Um, you know, I said at the beginning of this, you know, we're either an organ, you know, we used to be an organization that sell taps and toilets. Now, yeah as our emphasis comes on water solutions and the role that we can play in sustainability and conserving water, I think the biggest opportunity we've got is how do we actually make this planet more sustainable? And we can do that not only starting in Australia, but then moving into other markets as well. And for me, that's something that's worth getting out of bed for in the morning and hopefully inspires other people who want to join our business and actually be on, be on that sort of uh, bandwagon, for want of a better word. So that direction and, and, and clarity of where we're going is the first piece. The bit around supporting the people, look, at the end of the day, I, I probably say I don't do a lot. It's the people around me who do the work. And, and, and my job is to help them do that as well as they can and create the direction for their teams to make sure we've got the right people in place focused on the right things and, and help them do that to create the right culture and the right engagement in the organisation. So that's, the, I suppose, in a way, my, my role working with people to deliver that. And at the end of the day, the, the, the deliver performance is the reality is that we're, a, we're in business yeah. and we're in business to not only make money, but also make a difference. So we've got to do the right things. We've got to measure the right things. And then we've got to make sure we're delivering against those. And that, that is around, you know, how do we have the right rhythms, the right processes, the right reviews, the, the right performance management, if you like, to allow us to drive a performance agenda in the organization. If we get those three things right, then I think we're, uh, we're in great shape. Not everybody comes along the journey when the new chief exec starts. How did you win the hearts and minds? And, and if, you, if you didn't win the heart and mind, how long did you give them and what did you do about it? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? it mm. it's, uh, again, I'd probably say um, the, the, first, the start point is you, you have to try and stand for something, and give people a choice, and, and give them the opportunity to buy into something. Um, and, and that's really what we've tried to do as we've talked about, you know, water solutions and sustainability. And, and again, it's, it's how do you help people get proud of the organization they work for? You know, unfortunately, these days, if you stand around a barbecue, you know, five years or 10 years ago, if you worked for a cigarette company, you're, you know, everybody looked at you and probably you know, recalled a bit and sort of, oh, geez, I don't want to, you know, that, how do you do that? And, I, and then I think increasingly, 
you know, you, you can see a lot of other industries where the, the barbecue conversation that there are a lot of organisations or, or industries that are on the nose. That's right. Um, I'd like to think that when people talk about our organisation or our business and what we're trying to do, that they're actually proud of it and that people they're talking to are actually interested in what they're doing. So for me, if you can create that at the barbecue, then you can bring that sort of thing back into the business. So that's how I try and think about in terms of what we're doing. So you, you can get people on. It's, it is a hearts and minds exercise. You've then got to, I think, give people time to adjust and and allow them the space to actually want to come on that journey. And we've seen over time, we measure our engagement within our organisation. And that means, you know, do people say good things about it? Do they want to stay? And do they want to make a difference in terms of strive to do good stuff? So I say stay, strive. And we're making progress there, which is great to see. So we're measuring whether people are on that journey with us. The reality is, though, that like any organisation, we still have some people who probably aren't on that journey and they're still there. And my view would be you've got two options, either get on the journey or, or get off the bus. Yeah. Because I think it's the worst thing in the world for any organisation, and you learn that the hard way, the people who are passive resistors, for want of a better word. And and that, that sounds quite an aggressive stance, but I, I, but for the sake of those people, if you don't enjoy coming to work and you don't think you can make a difference to the business that we're in, yeah. don't come. Yeah. Go and work somewhere else where you can get some passion and energy. Because life's too short to actually spend your time, spend the majority of your day on something that you don't really enjoy. So from my perspective, that's that's what I want to try and create. And, and I, I didn't, you know, talk about people, if you don't want to be here, leave. This is where we're going. You've got a choice. As long as you're performing well, you've got the choice whether you stay or, or leave. Please take that choice. The transition from multinational corporation to the number one decision maker ASX listed CEO. How'd you find it? I mean, you, when you don't know something and you and you go into it, that that being blind to something is probably a good thing, because if you actually knew what you're letting yourself in for, you'd probably go, "Oh, geez, no, that this is going to be really tough." And I didn't know that. I had a degree of naivety about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, fair enough. I, as I said earlier, though, I was incredibly fortunate to be supported by the board, and you know, I've transitioned into you know from being a we're head of a multi, you know, head of country for multinational mm. into a into an as you say an AX listed um, listed job. That support of the board is is critical. If you haven't got that, you, you you're dead. I was also fortunate that I got a CFO who has listed experience previously in other com- companies, so he was able to sort of I mean literally hold my hand. I think, and I'm being, not trying to be too dramatic about it, but certainly mm. you know the stuff that you just don't get exposed to as a country head. Um, so I was fortunate in that regard as well. Then, to, to, to be honest, I think the, the bit that struck me most is that while I've always been highly driven to deliver the out, you know, whatever I've said I'm going to do from a performance perspective, the scrutiny and the expectation in being in a listed entity ratchets up at a degree that I hadn't envisaged. Uh, if I'm being really honest. Yeah. And and it, it comes home, actually, when you're at the AGM and you get people attending the meeting who are shareholders in your business, yeah. who when you look at them, you know that how you perform as a business determines the income they get into their family because right. they're shareholders. It really brings it home to you, that direct correlation between how you what you do every day and the outcomes and the impact that has on people. I think I take that personally and very seriously and and that's the you know it's in some ways it's really liberating because you've got the freedom no late night calls unless you choose to and and whatever else but the the scrutiny and the pressure is far more intense than i had ever envisaged 
um, prior to going in there. The, the positive side yeah. is that, you know, you, you get to, you know, to the point you made, you get to set the agenda, you know, subject to aligning the board on that. You get to be the, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me and I recognize that. Yeah. And that in itself is, is, you know, if you want to test yourself and, and, and actually sort of think about, okay, how do I grow? I've talked about learn, achieve and inspire. I can get all three of those things in spades in what I'm doing, and that's a really exciting thing for me. So that's why you that's why you come back day to day because it not every day is easy, but you keep coming back because you're learning and you're growing, and hopefully you're making a difference. Well, I only reason I asked that because when you first started, you had a bit of a tough start. Share price was at two dollars sixty, and it dropped down in the first month to dollar eighty one. I thought, God Almighty, that's that's a hard start, isn't it? And it's not your imp- it's you coming on board, but you're the chief exec, and you've got to wear it. Looks like the share price is doing pretty well at the moment. Just, I guess, it's just down to currency, isn't it? To be honest with you, I tend not to look at the share price because okay, and I, and I, I say so that. What, what do you look at then? Well, the reason I don't look at it, I mean, I, I'd, I'd probably look at it once a week because I, you know, it's, it's just that that's what it is. But yeah. I can't control it. That's so for on. me, yeah. I, I'd rather look at the things that we can control. So the things I talked about earlier around the direction, the people, the performance. They're the things that I can actually manage and, and not control, but at least I, you know, I can, I can shape and influence those things. So, so from my perspective, I spend more time looking at those things. How do we create the right conditions for success? How do I get the right people in place? If we do that, you know, we've been fortunate to think about, you know, creating a growth agenda. We've been good at taking costs out of the business and, and allowing us to use those costs that we've taken out to reinvest in the business. So, I look at our business and I think that we're stronger today than we were four years ago. So when you start to get things like FX challenges or Forex, for you know, foreign exchange challenges for people who don't know what FX is, or if you get a market that's slowed down as the Australian market has at the moment, yeah. hopefully we're better equipped to deal with those things because we're a stronger business. They're the things I've got to focus on. If I can get those right and we become a more resilient business, then our share price will reflect that over time. You're engaged with the customer and the consumer, what advice would you give to government in this country to stimulate more growth? I'm not sure it's my place to give the government advice, but um, look, I suppose if you look at consumers and, and business at the moment, I think I think it's the uncertainty that's out there. You know, from a consumer perspective, am I going to have a job down the track? Now, even though unemployment's pretty low, you know, there's a shift into part-time work and, and whatever yeah. else is, I think, perhaps playing on people. So certainly you see the recent rate cuts and some of the uh, interest rate cuts and the tax cuts have, have not necessarily translated into consumption. They've actually gone into reducing people's debt. Yeah. And I think that's an indication that people are um, perhaps um, uh, nervous about the outlook. And certainly things like the Westpac index would suggest that, that, that that's the case. Um, so if I had to give, you know, and I, I say I'm not sure it is my place to give um, uh, uh, advice to government, but I suppose that the things I would say is given debt is so cheap at the moment, why wouldn't we look at nation-building opportunities yep. that, that actually can create long-term, sustainable, competitive advantage for Australia? And whether that's in infrastructure or, or in some of the things we talked about earlier around quantum computing or whatever it might be, yeah. or agri, you know, agri-science or whatever, things that I think we've got a right to be leaders in, then I would like to see the government at the moment investing in those things to create confidence in the, both consumer and business that there's plenty of growth opportunities in Australia because I think that's the risk that people we face at the moment, that people are too concerned to want to lay out cash at the moment because they're worried about what the future holds. So it's it's around how does the government unshackle, I think, and and I think they've got a you know I'm, I've never really been a big 
proponents of government spending, if I'm being honest. But I think yeah. at the moment, I think it's, I, I think it's it, it's too nice an opportunity to to forego, quite frankly. Tim, what are you seeing in other countries? You feel we should investigate somewhat more? Yeah, as as as, as I look around, I, I I look at a country like Singapore, where they're and I talked earlier about sort of having a having a sort of direction. I think they're amazing in the way that they create a vision for that country, and then government invests behind that, and you know get business on side and, and partner to create you know growth and, and different ways of thinking about the business. So you know um, Singapore have talked to the fact that they want to be the the first green country in the world in terms of being sustainable, and they, they back that up through how they think about their building and the investment that they make in buildings. Um, you know, They're a country that has, I believe, pretty much virtually no fresh, clean water of their own. It's all piped in. So obviously, from their perspective, the more they can do to capture and use water in a more sustainable way has huge dividends or benefits to that country. So I, I love the way that they go about creating that vision and then working in partnership with people to, to bring that to life. I think they're amazing. And I think we could learn a lot, a lot from that in terms of the, the positive way they approach that. And I think that's that's pretty special. I look at New Zealand, um, okay. and I think about their tourism industry and the clean green New Zealand. I, I think, you know, Australia has, I believe, got more organic land than any other country in the world. Why wouldn't we be leveraging that more in some of the wonderful sort of biodiversity and 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 differences that we've got here to, you know, I think tourism is still underdone in this country. Yeah, you think so, do you? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, right. I, you know, and again, let, let's not, you know, short-term issues like coronavirus will probably, you know, have a detrimental impact in the short term. But I think we can be doing far more in in how we use sustainable tourism to create points of difference in Australia. I look at Germany and I, I look at their technology and the, the way that they, their manufacturing efficiency. I, I, I don't know whether that's something that we can ever replicate, quite frankly. Um, now I think it maybe we're, it's probably not really, we're a bit too far gone maybe for some of that, but I think some yeah. of the, I'd like to think of some of the other, uh, benefits of understanding discipline and rigor that everybody talks about in the German. My experience has been that that's the case. How do we bring that to, to bear here? So uh, maybe some of these things are, standard but but for me it's just looking at different countries and trying to learn from a few little things that we can bring back here and adopt as our own and actually build because we've got so much potential in this country and that's the thing that's exciting i think now as chief exec as you said in the asx listed environment it was what well, it was pretty confronting sounds like in that regard so you're only going to survive by hiring or appointing the very the very right people for you what's changed in your in your thoughts around people what values what backgrounds what are you looking for these days tim when I think about hiring people, to be honest with you, these days, at a certain level, I think you've got to assume that functional skills are just there. You, yep. you, you, you know, you don't get to be a senior leader normally without having some core competence in those areas. So, to some extent, you've got to take that for granted. I think the the the, the two questions I ask, you know, is is this person cap capable of changing the game? Yeah. Um, so do I think they've, they've got that ability and, and are we aligned on a values perspective? Because I think that's, for, for me, are the, are the things that you say, are, are we going to be able to work together? I don't, it's, it's not about being the same, but it's about whether we can actually share common ground around the values. So they're the, change the game and, 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 and shared values. I, many years ago, I was at a function where somebody talked about, um, I call it DICE now, which is fourth, so D-I-C-E and stands for uh, Determination, Insight, curiosity and engagement and and they're the four things that i look at to 
for me to try and assess. So when I talk about determination, it's about have somebody got resilience when things go wrong, can they get back up again? Are they, you know, a little bit stubborn maybe and actually want to see things through? So I think that's absolutely critical because nothing, nothing's ever an easy, straightforward, you know, path to get to where you want to be. You get setbacks. It's how you deal with those that's important. So that whole determination and resilience is really important. The I stands for insight. So the insight, so have, are you able to take, you know, we talked earlier about data, are you able yeah. to take reams of information and actually synthesize that down to something that will actually create value because it's actually a novel way of looking at something or it's a, a different take on something that will allow us to create value out of that. So the insight piece has to be there. But I reckon to get insight, the only way you can do that is if you've got curiosity. So the C for curiosity is, you know, people who keep asking why, 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 or why not, why not, why not. And I think for me, that's a really important trait. And I, I love it when people are actually curious about how things work or what's going on in the world. I think it's a general, if you've got that generally, you can apply that to what you're doing. And then the E stands for engagement, as I say, and that really is about, it's all very well having these good ideas and being able to find insights, but unless you can get people on board with those and actually engage, whether it's internally in your own team, whether it's across with other people in the business, or just as importantly, if you can engage out with customer and consumer, unless you can do that, those other things don't really count for anything. So for me, I, 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 the DICE is the way I try and look at, at high, you know, hires that I want to bring into the business. And that's that hasn't really changed, I suppose, over time, though. All, all it's done is I've recognised that getting the right talent in your business is so important. It's probably the most important thing, quite frankly. If you can do that, then I think everything else becomes a lot easier. So really digging deep on understanding those those four attributes, as I'd call them, is, is critical. And I think uh, that's where I spend, you know, spend a lot of my time, not only thinking about that for people outside the business, but also then how do you develop and, you know, grow people inside the organisation as well to allow them to, uh, to to reach their own potential. What do you think, what you noticed during your career? Bald head. Um, it's, it's, it's a really hard one because I, I, I think it's in, interesting that maybe I talk about that D on determination. Yeah. I've always been quite stubborn. That might be one word for it. Um and, and I and I I think that's in some ways it it's helped me stay the course on things. And if I believe strongly in something, I can find a way to make something happen as a result of that. And and I so I'd say that's been a a a, a good attribute of mine I, over the years. And my wife would say strength or weakness you'd probably call it the latter but maybe sometimes it's a it can be a strength that determination or drive and and belief that you can that you can make a difference that would probably be my main one and i think the e on the the engagement one is you know i'd like to think that over time i've, I've had the ability to work with work for people and actually make the place i've worked at a better place both in terms of how we do things but also what we deliver so I think my ability to connect with people has been a, a, a positive thing for me in my in my career because I, you know, I look at myself and say, I'm not the best marketeer. I'm never going to be a good finance person, but I don't really need to be if I've got a great marketeer and a great finance person who I can work with and they can de de develop and deliver stuff. So for me, it's about working with others to use their strengths to harness where we want to go as an organization. So of the four attributes I talked about, probably the D at the beginning and the the engagement at the end would be the two that I would say have probably been my strengths over the years that I've got. Where did the confidence come from? It's a really interesting question, though, is actually. And, and 
Uh, that's, what, that's one of the biggest things that hold most people back. They've got the ability. They made the curiosity. Not all the engagement, but there's, you, you, you've got to have that confidence. Yeah. Like, as you said, you took that chief exec role. Yeah, I'll tell you. Without well, being an ASX listed CA and, and you know, naively in some regard, but you still, still had to back yourself. It's true. I suppose it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. It's one I've, I've thought about, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a, necessarily an overly confident person. And I, I don't mean I'm sort of not confident. It's not, I wouldn't say in the sense, I, it sounds, you know, confidence borders on arrogance, and I don't yeah. know that it's that. If I'm being honest, I think, I think from my perspective, as I've grown, you know, into different roles and different businesses and I've seen people and I've, I've looked at people I've been working with and I go, you know what, actually, they're good, but I reckon I could do that as well. Yeah. Uh, so over time, you start, you start to build a bit of self-belief that actually, okay, uh, you know, I didn't go to a posh school or anything like that, but maybe I can actually do something. So I've, I've, as I've gone in through organisations, I've been given opportunities that have allowed me to grow and grow that self-confidence. I think that's one part of it. The other piece is I think that many years ago, I was actually very ill. Okay. And I came through that. And I think it creates a sense of perspective because while work's really important and I'm very passionate about what I do and I'm, it's very important to me that we, I do a great job and do well, I also know that I can actually say it's not the most important thing in the world and then if, if I had to, I'd still be the same person tomorrow if I wasn't working. So there's a sense of freedom in a way that that creates. Now, the determination piece at the beginning pulls that back. <laughs> Yeah, right. That I talked about. But actually, that understanding that there are more important things in the world because if you've not got your health, then everything else counts for nothing allows me to actually perhaps have degrees of freedom rather than confidence is the way I'd put it, that, that actually allows me to, to do what I do and actually know that I'll do my best. And if sometimes that doesn't work, then, you know, again, I don't like it and I'll strive to change it, but it's not the most important thing in the world. So how do you switch off, Tim? not that easily if i'm being honest the 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 basics that i really uh you know i sort of i get up every morning really early and i run take my dog out and i do exercise every day so for me i have to have that physical outlet that allows me to balance with my mental side of stuff yeah so that that tends to be a, a key one for me yeah. um and the other one is you know sort of friday afternoon love going down the pub catching up with mates talking rubbish yeah. and, and, and actually having a bit of a wall where it's not about work. So I think sometimes just for that time on a Friday evening, it's really nice just to close that off. But to be honest with you, I tend not to switch off if, in the sense that, you know, even, even when I'm out with a dog, I'm, I tend to be mulling things over. And I love the idea of you put things in the back of your head and then all of a sudden it comes to the front and you think about it. So from my perspective, there's, I, I don't think you can necessarily switch off. Um, uh, and that, that's not a bad thing. You just got to manage it. I think the, the challenge I think is, you know, I've got two daughters staying present when I'm with them. You know, the worst thing in the world, I think is that, you know, you're sitting there nodding and actually thinking about work when actually you should be talking and engaging with them. And I'm guilty of that at times, but being conscious of it is, is I think the first part to actually trying to change that. And I, and I've, I do want to make sure that I'm, I'm there for them when we're having a conversation. I'm not off in a different part of, different, uh, part of my brain working on something else. So the, the switching off piece is more about balance, I think, rather than necessarily switching off, I would, I would argue. Do you have a view on CEO tenure? Hopefully longer than four and a half years. 
and I, I look. I think it does come down to two things. It's it's are you delivering against the expectations of the board and your shareholders? Yeah. So it's 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 are you giving? Yep. And then are you getting back in return for that the the growth, you know, the remuneration or whatever else it might be? And as long as those two things stay in kilter, yeah. then I don't. I, I think tenure is a is a is an arbitrary number. I think it's more about are we doing the things that we need to do to make a difference in this business, and is it being reflected in how shareholders are seeing our business? So from my perspective, I, I don't think there's a there's a natural tenure. I, I, what I do think there is, though, at times there is that piece of when do you need a fresh set of eyes on something? When do you need to try and, you know, rethink a problem or look at it from a different, you know, different perspective? So there probably comes a natural point. The question is whether you can reinvent that, or or through, you know, using external sources or bringing different people into the business. Because I think that, that you know, like anybody, you, you want to go when you're actually at your peak, your peak, yep. and when you choose rather than when somebody else taps you on the shoulder. And the inevitability is at some stage that may happen to me and it may happen to other people, but you, you'd, I'd prefer if it didn't. And the, the, the way to do that is to make sure we keep performing. Um, so, you know, and then I suppose the final piece of that is what I said earlier. If you, if you want to get out of bed in the morning and make a difference in your business, if, if every day you're excited about what you're doing, then whether it's one year, five years, or ten years, shouldn't make any difference. And there are plenty of CEOs out there who have been in their business for a long time who still, I think, have got a buzz and an energy about their business. And I think that's the most important thing. And if you're doing that and, and, and delivering and getting a buzz out of it, why change? What's going to be the legacy on GWI when Tim finally calls it a day? I think like anybody, you, 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 you want to leave a business in better shape than you, than you found it. You want to feel that you have the, the X years, whatever how many it might be, that you work there, that you've made a difference, not only to you know the, the people in the business, but shareholders and the communities in which you operate. I mean, I think it's in, you know absolutely um, a fair metric for your for your for your legacy. So I think that's at a very general level, it would be that. I, I think that the given where we are as a business, I, I would love to think that in whatever many years time when I step down that we've done something around water sustainability and conservation in this country that people look at GWA and say wow those guys have done some amazing things and it's made a difference in how much water we consume in this country and given where we are as a country I think it'd be a really special thing to be able to do so I think it talks to sustainability if you were to look back at the young Tim Salt studying at Manchester University and then coming 30 years, 40 years later now into this role as CEO, what advice would you give that young bloke all those years back? Uh, it wouldn't matter because he wouldn't have listened. Um, <laughs> in those days, you've been, I sell out uh, probably that, buy Microsoft shares. Um, I, I think I think the main one would be actually, you know, it comes back to what you said about confidence, is, you know, trust yourself, it'll work out fine. Because I think that there's a, I, I look back now, I've, I've, I've come a long way from yeah. where I was and, 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 and proud of the, the journey I've been on. And there have been hurdles and mountains along the way, but things figure themselves out. So it, it wouldn't be, it would be to enjoy. And not that I haven't enjoyed my life, but I'd, but I'd say to the young team, go out there, you know, explore, have fun, live your life. Because, you know, you, you may not be around in five or 10 years, so you may as well enjoy what you're doing. Great advice, Tim. On that, thanks for coming in today. You've been listening to No Limitations. 